When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life with. If we're putting ourselves out there and somebody else is putting themselves out there, be present. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've watched me on NBC's Access Daily, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another amazing episode of Dates and Mates. While we are all unique in our biology and our upbringing, there's typically one thing that we all seek. It's one of our basic needs, and that's love. The thing is, there is no general education when it comes to dating and relationships. Sure, most of us get the sex talk, but what about the empathy or the communication talk? These are all important skills, but generally speaking, they're not really taught to us. And that's why I have Jennifer Cook, the expert from my favorite Netflix show, Love on the Spectrum, joining me today. She'll be shedding light on the not-so-obvious social rules of dating. She'll also talk about what it's like dating with autism or dating someone who is on the spectrum. But you know we always like to kick it off with a hot dish. Our big headline today, the rise of single parties. Is this the new way to find love? Then later in Dear Demona, I'll tackle this heartfelt question. I ended an abusive relationship two years ago. Is it too soon to begin dating? All right, lovers, you're going to have to open your heart for this show today. Okay, let's dish. D's dating dish. Yahoo News asks, the rise of single parties. Is this the new way to find love? It's funny how what's old is new, what's new is old. <laughs> but looking at new research from the global dating app Inner Circle, they are seeing that there is a vibe shift in favor of singles parties. And they're looking at research from pre-lockdown attitudes. Three quarters of singles pre-lockdown wanted to meet people in real life. But that didn't mean singles parties. Four in 10 refused to attend one. But now 87% of singles think it's more socially acceptable to meet someone at a singles party than it was before the pandemic, not even during the pandemic. What does this tell us? It tells us it, actually that they surveyed people and asked, why do they want to attend a singles party? The majority just said, because it's a fun night out. This is uh, way up from the pandemic. Over half said because they know everyone is looking for a match. That's up from just 39%. And 65% say it's the closest thing to meeting someone in real life, which I find hilarious because <laughs> online dating is real life when you get offline. But I digress because they also gave some tips to get over the nerves and embrace single parties 2020. 22 style. And I'll tell you my insights in addition to the tips that they gave, because I actually helped Match, Match.com launch stir events in LA. These were in-person gatherings around various activities and also some general mixers. But according to this article, singles parties are actually getting an update. They focus on singles events now with outrageous quiz nights, burlesque shows, 
museum tours, night cycling. I wish I had thought of it. We did a couple like we did cooking classes. We did comedy nights. We got a little bit creative, but they've definitely kicked it up a notch. And I think that's the bottom line. If you're going to go to a singles party, make it something that you're going to have a good time at no matter what. Here are the other tips that they shared on how to be successful at singles parties. They say bring a wingman. Heading to singles parties on your own can be intimidating, so bring a wingman. My take on this is it's a great idea unless it's going to make you isolated. And I see this a lot of times when I I wrote an article for for Match.com like ages ago that as I was observing like hundreds of daters at these parties, I was noticing the patterns and the men would show up solo and the women would show up in a gaggle. And then they would all go sit in the corner and wall off and guys were really intimidated to approach them because they were there solo. So I just ask, what happens? What if you don't bring your wingman as like your security blankie? And what happens if you just show up yourself and then you're forced to go out of your way to make connections? You can't just like hang out in the back and wonder why nothing's happening. The second tip was get into it. Whether it's dancing on tables, chatting to strangers or introducing yourself to a group, don't be worried about striking up conversation. 100% agree. I would also add that applies to how you show up, what you are wearing, the way you present yourself. Because I would see a lot of times like women would be wearing the little black dress that's slimming. Believe me, I know. I, I did it too. But you just kind of fade into the background. And then they would... Uh, you know how we do. They would all be looking at the woman who's wearing the red dress. Like, I can't believe she showed up with all of this flair. <laughs> and I'm wearing, didn't we agree? We're wearing the little black dresses. Don't be afraid of the people with flair. Don't be afraid to have a piece of flair or a lot of pieces of flair. I actually call it conversation piece clothing. But red, I talk about red with dating app profiles and how we are conditioned to notice, to pay attention to the color red. It also works at singles events. Next tip, be clear what you're looking for. Everyone at the party is single, but that doesn't mean that you all want the same thing. Okay, it's a singles party, I say. Like, pump the brakes. You don't need to get into the, like, the future of your life. Just have fun, okay? <laughs> don't take it too seriously. Uh, next tip, great tip, prep your icebreaker. Especially if you're on the shy side, just prepare for a couple topics to talk about beforehand so you don't find yourself at a loss for words when you set eyes on someone that you like. Do this on dates too. Prep your icebreakers. I know it sounds nerdy, and I'm going to talk a little bit more with Jennifer Cook about how to prepare yourself for dates so that you can be successful. But nobody has to see the preparation. That's all to make you feel more comfortable. And the final tip is treat it like a night out. It's not always about the phone number you leave with. Sometimes it's best to just have fun and see what happens. I say this on dates too. Let go of the outcome. I know this is really hard to do, but practice it. Practice, practice, practice in dating. It really, really pays off. I'll add you one more tip beyond what's in the article. Of course, we'll link to the article in the show notes. Set yourself a stretch goal before you go in. So a stretch goal is something that you probably wouldn't do if you hadn't set the goal or if Demona hadn't said, hey, you you need to <laughs> step outside your comfort zone. Uh, so a stretch goal is like, I will talk to at least five people that I don't know. A stretch goal might be, I will dance on the tables. A stretch goal might just be, I will wear something bold and unique and 
not worry about people staring at me. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's something that's a stretch for you. And it's something that will generate more connections. Like I even do this when I'm going to business mixers. I set the intention. Oh, and my client, I'll call him S. I had a client, same exact thing. He was going to a mixer. It was a cooking class. This was just a few months ago. So cooking classes are back now too. And I said, set a stretch goal for yourself. He ended up talking to someone that, you know, he probably wouldn't have gone out of his way to make the connection. He thought he was cute and was kind of curious. And it worked. They ended up dating. And all of that started with S beginning with a stretch goal, setting an intention before he walked in the room. He wasn't just there to cook. He was there to create some heat. Oh, hey, see what I did there? <laughs> Friends, if you are into the show and you want more dating help from me, I have something for you. It is free for a limited time at datesandmates.com, the free profile starter kit that will get your dating profile refreshed and get you on your way to more dates. Signing up will also add you to my mailing list. Don't worry, I'm not going to blow up your inbox, but I will tell you about future events. I'll give you more content and I'll tell you about the trainings that we have coming up. And I have some really cool things to share with you later this summer. So you won't want to miss that. Make sure you're signed up at datesandmates.com for the free profile starter kit. And as you're listening to episodes at datesandmates.com or wherever you listen, don't forget to leave us a rating or review. We especially love them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of those major podcast platforms. When we come back, the incredible Jennifer Cook will join me to reveal hidden social rules in dating, whether you are neurotypical or neurodiverse. And if you don't know what that means, you're definitely going to want to listen. Welcome back. Jennifer Cook is an autism advocate, speaker, author, and on-camera autism expert in the Netflix internationally celebrated series, Love on the Spectrum U.S. She's the author of nine, count them, nine best-selling books, including Autism in Heels, and she's also the creator of Belong. It's a place where people can gain community and learn more about Jennifer's expertise. Her personal story has been featured in the New York Post, The Guardian, BBC World Service, NPR, and now for the first time on Dates and Mates, please help me give big smooches to Jennifer Cook. Hello. How are you, Demona? It's wonderful to be with you today. I am so good. I am so good because honestly, this show, Love on the Spectrum, I really think it is one of the most important unscripted series of our generation. Oh my goodness. And I'll tell you why. Especially as a love coach, I feel like there are so many skills and there's so much etiquette in society that we assume we should just know. You should know how to attract someone. And what I love about this show is through the lens of people living with autism who are dating, we get to see how those skills are actually taught. So kudos to you oh, for thank the you. work that you do. Thank you. It's a human spectrum, right? I mean, that's the thing. And you know, one of the things I'll say frequently is that nothing that I teach, nothing that I suggest, nothing that I talk about is exclusive to people who are on the autism spectrum. None, nothing. Um, it is really just, it's because life with autism is just life, you know, with the volume turned up in some ways, but it's just life. And, um, you know, so I think what you're getting at, though, is exactly, exactly the crux of the matter. It's that which is intuited by neurotypical people isn't often by neurodivergent people. And so there has to be a lot more intellectualizing, a lot more explicit teaching 
that goes into um, just ordinary social situations. But the reality is if we did that, I've done sort of this, I do this little party trick when I'm doing speeches and I'll have uh, two completely neurotypical people come up and give them each a bunch of matching random objects. And I'll say, okay, one of you has to turn away and the other one go ahead and make some, you know, modern art sculpture out of it. And they'll do that. And then I'll give them a minute to instruct the other person who can't ask questions and can't turn around how to put those things together to make the same thing. I'm trying to think. I've done this in at least four different countries, probably a hundred times. It has never, ever succeeded that the the second product looks like the first one. Never. And that's because even among neurotypical people, we assume so much. You know, in this case, maybe somebody's not saying right, left, above, beyond, before, underneath. Well, it's sort of the same thing in daily life. There's so much that's just taken for granted and that we need to explain and say and, and communicate. So... Um, So thank you for picking up on that. Yeah, especially in dating. And in dating, we make a ton of assumptions and we operate from them. And I also have realized that a lot of times we may actually be looking at something through a neurodiverse lens Mm -hmm. and not even realize it. I know, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have the spectrum of tools of you know, understanding of of the brain and how people think and operate differently. Mm-hmm. And I understand that even you yourself, you're you're an expert in helping people navigate living with autism, but you yourself got a diagnosis later in life. Talk to me about what that was like and how you, you said on Love on the Spectrum, it really made everything that happened before that makes sense. Sure. It's, I often say it was the if to an if then statement, you know, um, my whole life I was, so I was diagnosed at 35, um, which is just two minutes ago. No, that was 11 years ago. Yeah, Um, girl. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, to live your whole life up to 35 and not have this diagnosis must have been a surprise. Absolutely. You know, I was really just told my whole life I was too smart for my own good, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I've jokingly wondered if they would have ever said that to a boy. I don't I don't think so. But um, sort of interesting to kind of toss around. But no, for me, it was a matter of um, some people with autism struggle very much with language. Um, those of us who have a lot of words um, or for whom, you know, for some of us, I mean, I make my living with words, writing and speaking, you know when that's your area of, if you will, savant, um, then it's often uh, unrecognized, especially among girls and women. It's very much unrecognized uh, to this day. So um, that being said, me growing up, yeah, and I was the one who followed every rule, um, who wanted to be the teacher's pet all the time. I did better with adults than I did with other kids. But I was an only child and I was really bright. So I was always told it was just because of those things. I just didn't kind of blend with other kids. So I, you know, spent my life kind of trying to mimic, but it would never come out completely right. So that it just ended up that I would be dictionary brain and then kind of just pushed to the side, you know, um, until I was in high school and um, things changed for me. We had a, a school play, a school musical was Damn Yankees. And you know, that, that famous song, Whatever Lola Wants, Lola Gets. Well, at 15, that was me doing a striptease on t- stage for three nights in a row. And that will change your social life overnight, I will tell you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which in and of itself is a whole issue that at 15, should that have happened? I don't know. But this is this is the ni- early 90s. What can I tell you? But anyway, 
And even at that, then I was really thrust into a situation where where suddenly I was, quote unquote, socially su- successful, but I was having to mimic and copy and learning to be a flirt. I literally got the nickname flirt, um, you know, that I was so good at it, but so good at it, it doesn't really that that can get you in a lot of trouble, too. If you're not really sure what signals you're sending out and you're just copying, mimicking, learning to be so good at something that you don't understand the power of and flirting is powerful stuff as you well know. <laughs> and so for me, I spent, you know, years when I was in college, I was in an abusive relationship, which is unfortunately far too common for women and girls on the spectrum. There's a line I used to say, when you feel like you're too difficult to love, you'll love for crumbs. And I think that Ooh. that kind of that happens. Um, but for me, it really made my entire life in retrospect, make sense, because suddenly all of the moments that I felt like I had been acting either well or poorly, which we call masking, make complete sense, you know, um, and to our area, our common area of dating and love. And, you know, for, for me, um, I had gotten very good at that, but sometimes to my own detriment. And so, you know, it's, it's something that I've learned to um, teach with a, a whole lot of care, um, because I think for a lot of time, for a lot of women, especially, but men and women, if you're not aware of the signals you're sending out, you can be excellent at sending out those signals, but really land yourself in a dangerous spot. Wow. Yeah. You can definitely tell when watching the show just how much care you take with the the clients that you're working with. And I also love how the exercises you do with them, you really bring it into a full sensory experience. So I'll I'll give you an example. Like I, when I'm teaching flirting, I actually use the principles of improv to teach people how to have a conversation. It's, it's, it's a great tool and it helps you really like release inhibitions, get better at listening. But you did a totally different exercise with Abby. Yeah. That and everybody, you should still watch the show and see see this. But I'll tell I'll get I'll give a little a little spoiler. You actually used a physical representation yeah. of the conversation with rolling balls back and forth. Yeah. And you know, it starts out you're like just rolling a lot of balls at her. Yep. Like, question, 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 question. Exactly. And I think a lot of daters feel that way. They either feel like it's all or nothing. Yes. I'm getting a bunch of questions pummeled at me and this is an interview and I'm overwhelmed. Exactly. Or right? Or it's the opposite. How come they're not asking me any questions? And through this exercise, I feel like you really demonstrate how a conversation, it's its a game of catch between two people. It completely is. You know, one of the things I've, I've likened it to is, you know, when you're a kid and you've got like a balloon or a beach ball and you see how many times you can keep it up between the two of you. So it's not a competition, right? You know, nobody's trying to score a tennis match point, you know, when you're going back and forth and looking back and forth and suddenly, you know, someone's trying to score a point. Um, it, it, you're exactly right. So Abby, um, you know, her mind was going a mile a minute when I met her. A lot of times I say for folks on the spectrum that our minds will be and interchangeably from moment to moment, like fireflies or choo-choo trains. And in that case, Abby was very much in firefly mode and she was sort of all over the place. And I knew that in order for her to have any kind of flexible communication style, right? And by, by that, I mean that, you know, it's like being un, um, either cooked spaghetti or uncooked spaghetti. I say that rigid thinking is like being uncooked spaghetti, but with a little warmth and time, you know, you can get all flexible and, and your thinking softens. Um, I knew that if she was going to be able to find a way to have any kind of conversation with anybody that wasn't just one-liners and like you said, like an interview, right? 
then we were going to have to ground her thinking in something concrete. And so that's why I pulled out those, those little ping pong balls. And, um, you know, the truth is that my, I guess, because my mind works in, in similar ways, this was something that I just kind of did ad hoc. And, um, so just right sort of, I had my little, you know, bag of tricks, but this was the first time I had done the trick. And so, um, Ah. yeah, yeah. And, and obviously it played well. So, um, because as you said, I first started rolling the matter and intentionally overwhelming her, but then we had a nice little conversation going. And the best part of that, I think was at the end when I said, do you realize what you just did? And I said, you had a conversation and the look on her face was, you know, fantastic. Amazed. She was shocked. She was like, I had a conversation, but it was like you had led her without her even realizing it into a different experience. And this is what I I really try to encourage among my listeners and clients is that dating with intention, it's an, an entirely different experience. And you have to be really present. I mean, you can't you can be. <laughs> You, you can, yeah, can be a right, yeah. but but when you get really present in the moment, you can actually see yourself changing in real time. And I found it very empowering first just to see how much Abby had shifted just in that in that short exercise. At least it was short through the magic of television. Yeah. I don't know how long <laughs> it actually was. No, I think I don't think you're too off because I was like it was a matter of I knew that I did not have very long to catch this fish. You know, so. I love getting comments on shows that I've done and people are like, you know, they comment on on what happened. And I'm like, what you don't see is right, everything is. that's on the cutting room floor. Yeah. But oh, yeah. it was oh, yeah. magical how you created that transformation in in such a short period of time. And it's it's an encouragement for anyone listening to try something different, try a different exercise, try a different technique for conversation and see if you get a different result. Because I think we learn in motion. And I think as we put- Oh, I love that. Right? As we put our bodies into different situations and our minds into different situations, we they grow. We change and we evolve and you can get better at dating. And that's one thing I love about Love on the Spectrum. It really shows how when they have your support and they, they are able to practice these skills, they do improve at dating yeah. and they are a set of learned skills oh, that absolutely. Um, can be t- can be broken down. Well, practice makes possible. Right. And, you know, and, uh, and that's like that. completely what it was. And when you I love the, you know, we learn in motion because that really was a kinetic exercise. And that's what, you know, when when your mind is racing that much, you have to give some kind of activity that can keep up you know, temporarily. And we had to have something that was fast. Um, or else her brain would have been going too fast and would have just not bothered to stick around. Yeah. And I I hope for anyone listening, they really feel empowered by that, that you you don't have to be like a victim in a conversation you Gosh, don't want to no. be in. Right. 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 No. You always have con- you always have the ability to shift the topic or move with the conversation with absolutely that's the that's the thing i mean when we were rolling those balls it was you know or that ball it was intentional there obviously i rolled it pretty much straight to her but if you want to extend that metaphor 
you know, it's always going to go over a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left. When you're in real time in a conversation, you don't have a script. You don't know what the person is. You you shouldn't know what the other person is about to say. You should not be, you know, anticipating. Let them have the time of actually coming up with their thoughts and expressing themselves. I think if we spend a lot of time preparing for the next thing, we're not listening. Um, right. And so in that real time, it's it's actually responding in real time and being, again, that cooked spaghetti. So that you've got to flex in, in real time. And that's something that can be scary. I get it. It's a lot. Everyone would feel a lot more comfortable probably if they were walking into a, a date first, second or otherwise, you know, with a script that they knew exactly what they were going to have to say and do. But that's just not the way it works. And so I get spontaneous conversation can be can be a scary thing, especially, you know, one on one. It's funny for me. I can stand in front of an audience of 500 and that's super easy and I can do this with you and it's super easy. But stick me in a PTA meeting and my social anxiety goes out, the, you know, <laughs> through the roof. I get it. We all have our situations and it's OK, um, you know, to be afraid. Right. But being brave means being afraid and doing it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I want to actually talk about that experience a little bit more because I have seen like um, I haven't neurodiverse child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably have two, but the other one. <laughs> but one of them <laughs> fails to <laughs> to meet the criteria mm-hmm. yet. Um as that sometimes changes. But they have sensory processing oh, sure. um disorder. And I'm still learning mm-hmm. about what that means and how we make modifications. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the environment that they find themselves in can impact oh, yeah. how their their behavior. Absolutely. So if it's too loud in a room, Absolutely. if it's if they're wearing clothes that feel uncomfortable, they can't really be themselves. Oh lord, yes, it's like wearing a wool wool sweater in August. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting just to be aware of that mm-hmm. and to be able to extend that to daters to mm-hmm. set themselves up for success. Like you mentioned, your your social anxiety goes through the roof at the PTA meetings. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing probably because there's something about that environment. You know, maybe it's something proprioceptive. Maybe it's auditory. I don't know. But there's something that is is signaling in your system, ooh, this is a different kind of yeah environment. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for me also, I think in those situations, it's a matter of because that spontaneous conversation is going to happen so fast, I'm going to have to respond in real time and I'm going to second guess myself is really what it comes down to. Um, but and there are a lot of potential conversations, a lot of potential conversations and a lot of looking around and assuming that there are connections with between other people who aren't necessarily there. And, you know, when you grow up feeling other, it's easy to continue to feel other, even if you're not necessarily the other, um, it's easy to project that onto a situation. Um, but the sensory experience is right. That's, you know, so when you are neurodivergent, you know, and, and for anybody who's not listening or who's listening and doesn't really know what that means, it can be anything from ADD, ADHD, nonverbal learning disorder, um, all the, all the, as I say, all the D's that we could just call difference instead of disorder. I wish we could, you know, that's neurodivergent, neurodiverse, whichever you want to call it. And then there's everybody else and everybody else is the neurotypicals and we'll let you hang out with us. It's okay. Um, but, you know, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, sensory experiences are at the core of every human being's basic experience. I mean, you could be having the time of your life and if it is a hundred degrees out, 
right? Like I was just in Disney, at Disney in Orlando, right? In June. And it literally was a hundred degrees and we were in, you know, the most magical place on earth. And everyone is just going, Oh, right. You're miserable when you're waiting in line and doing, just waiting, you know, and that's the reality of the things. If our bodies, if what our senses are telling us isn't good, then nothing else, no higher order thinking experiences, no rational um, thinking, no logical thinking, no um, cooperative thinking, no learning, no emotional balance, nothing can else can happen when your sensory systems are offline. And it's a very real, real thing. And it's crazy the little things that can help. You know, I I know that I, with my own kids, I used to um, a really thick drink through a straw, uh, through the straw. That sucking motion really, really helps. Um, and so it's why sometimes people also people on the, the with sensory stuff will often chew more than one piece of gum at the same time or have a really strong flavor help because mm-hmm. that gives that proprioceptive input at your jawline, which really is like giving a massage and it's telling your brain, calm down, calm down. And if you think about it, what do we do with a little baby, right? When they're crying, we rock back and forth. So we give them that vestibular input, which is just telling their inner ear, you know, what, what's going on and a little bit of rocking, a sensation that they can come to expect. And we put a pacifier or a or a bottle or whatever in their mouth, because then there's that suck, suck, suck. And that's the most primordial, primitive response is to doing that. So you can look for little ways in real time. If you're in a, even in a dating situation, no, we're not going to pop a pacifier in your mouth. But you know, it sounds silly. (laughs) It sounds silly. But drink something with a straw. Um, That actually will help concentrate you, your your focus a little bit, just kind of like what I did with Abby helping to, to focus that having something real cold, having a beverage that's really cold, that can help. Or even just the carbonation of, of a soda or a beer or whatever the case is, that'll help you too. So those all will actually help sensorially. Oh my gosh. I did not, I did not know any of that. That's amazing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and there's, I mean, there's so many ways that you, you can set yourself up for success. Like maybe if, if you've experienced some of what, what Jennifer was saying, in a group, maybe you don't want to go to like a wide open mixer. Maybe you want to have more of a speed dating experience or an online dating experience, which I talk about a lot on the show, Jennifer. But I find that where a lot of people get tripped up, whether they are neurodivergent or not, is in reading conversation, especially over text. Oh, my gosh. Because there yeah. isn't like any context. Do you have any advice from your perspective on how we can communicate better in the digital space? So tone markers, which I'm sure you've heard of before, or if you haven't seen them too much, this is this comes right out of my 19-year-old. Um, this is what the what the teens, what the young people are using these days. Uh, Tell me. Tell <laughs> but me. you know, connected. right? No, but it's a thing, and it's so smart because. It's hard to tell sometimes is someone being sarcastic? Are they being silly? Are they being right? You can't. There is literally so no tone. So putting a slash and um, one of them, for instance, is SRS. And that means serious. Like I'm being serious. Um, I feel like sarcastic is SC, something like that. But but I've just really kind of learned about these in the last month or two. And I think that it's so great to just have that and use them. So uh, that and yeah, I mean, it might sound silly, but emojis. And I don't mean just like seven stars in a row. But it, it does, you know, or, or whatever you're choosing to use, you know, be careful with what you're choosing to use. I, but yeah, we, I can digress there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a whole other conversation. Um, but yeah, you know, using whatever means you can 
to try to clarify not just your words, but your intention. And so one of the things for, for folks on the spectrum that is the hardest, it's uh, we call it, or I call it mind blindness, it's an inability to naturally take somebody else's perspective, right? We don't naturally step into someone else's shoes. Now, that's why a lot of times, especially if we're younger or we haven't learned really good social skills growing up, why it can seem that somebody is not caring and not empathetic, which is like the biggest complete lie about people on the spectrum. It's a terrible misunderstanding. We can be among the most caring, compassionate people you're ever going to meet, like to the point of emotional pain. But we have to be taught from situation to situation. And growing up, we have to be taught, okay, let's be explicit. And let's think about what might that sound like? How might this come across to somebody else? And what might the result of that be? Right? I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, I remember we used to do, I bet you did these too, timed multiplication tables where you would have like a hundred, do you remember this? Yeah. <laughs> 100, I, I have anxiety right now there, <laughs> there from the go. mention of it. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there'd be like a hundred uh, questions and it was just how fast could you do them, right? And I can clearly remember and I, racing through them and then slamming my pencil down. And I could not for the life of me figure out why the other kids found like would then give me dirty looks. I thought, because the teacher I had at the time Always. I did that and I got an instantly huge smile from her. Right. Now, it would have been helpful if I had a grown up who kind of maybe then took me aside and said, you know, um, I wonder because it's always great if you could put something in. And I wonder because nobody can say no. Just this is just my wonder statement. You know, I wonder if somebody else who's struggling might hear that and feel badly about themselves instead of putting it around, you know, on me and saying she's a show off. No, I was literally doing what I what made my teacher proud. So to me, that meant that everybody would be proud. That's not how it works when you're, you know, a kid. No, it just ticked everybody else off and that made me the know-it-all, right, if you will. But that's not where I was coming from. If somebody had ever said to me, this could genuinely genuinely be hurting someone, making them feel badly about themselves, I would have stopped in an instant, probably looked to find the kid who who I could have hurt and, you know, gone overboard and apologizing because that's not where I was really coming from. So you know, it's the same thing now. If if we can help to erase mind blindness a little bit for on everybody's part, use those dang emojis, use your, you know, use your tone markers. Um, it's a great way to help to clarify where you're trying to come from. We do so much assuming, you know, life is very much like uh, looking through a plexiglass window where you can kind of write on it, you know, with dry erase markers. We're all looking through the lens of our of our own experiences. So we're all looking out, but we're not, we don't get a, a neutral picture. And so your texts are not neutral either. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so helpful. And I'm with you on the emojis. I'm actually writing a chapter in my book. I love this. On emojis right now. <laughs> so are you serious? It won't be out until 2024. But I was like, is this silly to include a chapter on emojis? And I was like, no, I think no. it's really important, actually. I think it's really uh, important. So it's in there right now. We'll see if my editor cuts it up. But for now. I think that's brilliant that you're doing that. I really, really, I think that's brilliant. And, you know, and before you were saying about improv, and I mentioned doing theater myself. I think that's I think that's fantastic because I think that's exactly how um, one of the best ways that we can learn to have to you know in real time adjust. So I I love that. I absolutely love that. And you do that with your clients too. Like you did uh, role play with Subod yeah. on on Love on the Spectrum, and I think that 
that exercise really could, I won't tell you what happens if you haven't right. seen it, but I think it it helped him really be able to anticipate what was going to happen later when he was having dates. And especially for people who may be listening who are like, I haven't had that many dates. This is his first, as he kept saying, this is my first date in 33 years. <laughs> and he's 33. And he's 33, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, don't be afraid to like role play and practice it. Do Maybe it. Maybe even script it a little bit for yourself yes. of just what, um, and you did a little bit of this with Abby too, and like thinking of what are the topics that I enjoy talking about and then what intersections might I be able to make? And especially if you're dating online, you can do that preparation in advance. Exactly. And for me, preparation helps helps me immensely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, absolutely. not feeling, and even though you're going into it knowing that the situation might change. Sure. But if you have a foundation of like, this is what I'm curious about, mm-hmm. that can really lead you through a, a great conversation. Before you go... I wanted to ask you for anyone who may be dating someone who knows they're on the spectrum Mm -hmm. or who doesn't realize they're on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Are there any best practices for communication? Just like what you were saying about using the, I call them mood modifiers, but tone Mm -hmm. markers. Yeah, same idea. Yeah. Are there other best practices that can keep you from making all those assumptions? Like when you're on a date or when you're I get so many questions like, I don't know if he likes me. I don't know if I can't, I can't tell where, you know, what the future of the relationship is. And there's so much anxiety that comes up for daters in this place of unknown. And I can only imagine it's layered if you're dating someone who is neurodivergent and maybe communicates in a different way or understand situations through a different lens. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, there was one participant, Steve, who was on, um, on the show. Gosh, I wish I had had the chance to work with him on one particular thing, which is ending a date, right. Um, that when he, when his first date ended, I think the, the woman was kind of waiting for him to say something other than, okay. (laughs) The second date too. The second date, I was crawling through my skin like, oh my gosh, somebody help him. That's right. Because she was asking him out. I know. I know. I'm like, I want to go play because I need to help this guy. Well, I don't want to give everyone too much away, but yeah, he, you're right. He did have trouble ending the date. Yeah. He didn't know how to do it at all. He didn't know what to say. And so I think one of the things that you can do in dating, best practice just in general is being honest, right? Being clear. Everybody, I think everybody, you know, but most people have had the experience of being ghosted in their lives at some point. And probably a lot of us have done the ghosting at some point. I think if we can all be courageous enough to, if we're putting ourselves out there and somebody else is putting themselves out there, you know, be present, be, have, have the, um, the kindness, the decency really to be forthright about how you're feeling. It doesn't do anybody any good if you are. Um, you know, feeling sorry for them is not a reason to be in a relationship and it's not a reason to even be on a date that's insulting to everybody involved, including yourself, right? So I think it's about being forthright, asking, how do you know? Because a lot of times the answer will be, well, <laughs> well, how, what else could it be? And when you hear, well, what else could it be? That's your, that's your cue. Okay, this is someplace where literally they're, they're stepping into a wall. They literally cannot see another option. And that's when you can say the, I wonder, well, I wonder if blah, 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 blah. And no, again, nobody can argue with and say, well, you're wrong. No, I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering, you know. 
So that would those would be some of my favorites. I've also heard you uh, encourage people to use the term "tell me more." Yeah, when you're having a conversation, you know, you've got you've got your questions, but you can always use "tell me more about that." Even if you're if you've gotten into a topic, or one of the things I talked with Sabot about just briefly, um, but this was on, over Zoom, which he then used it was with Rachel, the gal that he was dating, was very interested in TV and he doesn't really like to watch TV. And I said to him, well, you know, does that make you feel nervous when, because I think the assumption is, well, he didn't want to talk about TV and he wanted to change the channel or change the channel, change the, the conversation topic because he was bored or just didn't care. No, I asked him, and that would be a really great example of mind blindness on neurotypical, you know, uh, viewers. When I said, does it make you nervous? And he said, yeah, because he didn't know what to do then. So I said, you know, that's when you can say, well, tell me more about that because you don't actually have to know about the subject that the other person is talking about. You don't have to be an expert on anything and certainly on everything. You just can say, really? So tell me more about that. Why? Why? What, what intrigues you about that or what's so fun about it? I'd love to know. You don't have to be feeding all the information. You can just be listening more. The most interesting thing you can be is interested. Thank you so much for joining me, Jennifer. Y'all, make sure you check out Love on the Spectrum US on Netflix. It is sincerely the feel-good show of the year. You will learn so much from watching Jennifer work and seeing the heart and soul of all of the amazing daters with autism who she supports in this series. And follow Jennifer on Instagram at jennifercook underscore author. You can also check out her website at jenniferotoolauthor.com. The links will be in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer the following listener question. How soon after ending my abusive relationship should I begin dating again? Stay with me. You know, I've got you covered with your dating dilemmas, big or small. So let's get into the question of the week. Dear Damona. Damona, help me. A listener named D DM'd me on Instagram with this message. If I am healing from a 15-year domestic violence relationship, should I be dating or should I be focusing on healing properly? FYI, the relationship ended two years ago. First of all, Dee, thank you for trusting me with your heart and opening up and sharing this information. I know there's sometimes shame that comes with being a survivor of domestic violence and I appreciate you being willing to share your story here because it might help somebody else who needs this. First of all, you got out. You have escaped an abusive relationship. But that doesn't mean that the wounds of that relationship are fully healed. You asked me if you should be dating or focusing solely on healing properly. I think it's not necessarily an either or situation. And you shared that two years have passed. So in some cases, that could be enough time to do the inner work. In other cases, and probably because this was a 15-year situation that you lived through, you may be processing this for a long time, maybe for the rest of your life. But that doesn't mean that it should get in the way of your future happiness or that you can't move into a healthy relationship after the situation that you've been through. What you have to keep doing, D is processing this with your family, your friends, your support system, and probably also with a counselor, someone who is specifically skilled in supporting people to heal from domestic violence. 
it's very important as you are moving into the dating process to become aware of some of the red flags that may lead to a similar situation. We are all products of our own experiences and we get sort of programmed by the relationships that we've had to recognize love in different ways. So it's possible that as you're moving into dating, you may see certain things as signs of love that are actually signs of control, of abuse, of deferred conflict down the road. And you have to get really clear, probably with your counselor, on what some of those signs are. I'm going to give you a couple of top line warning signs of an abusive relationship because it doesn't always start physical. It usually will start emotional. It may start with jealousy. It may start with controlling behavior. Where are you going? Who are you going with? Why do you need to why do you need to see that friend? Why are you talking to your mom so much? No you can't go out. No you can't do that. And controlling your behavior. And through that control, they may be isolating you from your family, friends, other people that can give you support. You may also see a person with an abusive tendency blaming others for problems or mistakes. It's always somebody else's fault when something goes wrong. And making others responsible for their feelings, like you make me angry instead of I am angry or I feel angry or you're hurting me by not doing what I'm asking. These are all potential warning signs. Of course, any verbal abuse, of course, overly aggressive sexual behavior, sudden moon swings. You've probably seen all of these things before, but it's really important, D, that you recognize them as you move into the dating process because it's, I mean, it's a leap of faith. It's a wide world out there. And there's definitely someone out there who's going to treat you well, be respectful, be a good and loving partner to you. And there is also the chance that some of those other people who do not have the right intentions or who maybe are acting from a place of hurt and pain themselves, you are going to come across them too. And it's important that you are going in eyes wide open when you feel ready. So I'm not going to push you out the door and be like, two years, you're good. You're good. That should be enough time to heal. You will know when the time is right. But you heard me say to Jennifer Cook, we learn in motion. We learn in relation to other people. And the last phase of stepping away from this abusive relationship and redefining your life and how you want to live it will be connecting with someone who is different from your ex. And the only way to get there is by beginning to open your heart again, beginning these dating steps. So you and your counselor figure out when is the right time for you. What are the warning signs that you should be looking for and how to open your heart again? Because I promise you, Dee, you made it. You got out of this relationship. And that story that you were telling yourself for 15 years about what your life was going to be, it's no longer true. It doesn't have to haunt you. It doesn't have to be your reality in the future. You got a new lease on life and girlfriend... I can't wait for you to seize the day, for you to take it, and for you to rewrite your love story. And for anyone else listening, if you or someone you know is facing a domestic violence situation, whether it is physical or emotional, if you've seen any of the signs that I talked about on the show, please, please call the Domestic Violence Hotline. It's 1-800-799-7233. That's one 800 799 
SAFE, or you can text START to 88788. We will put that very important information also in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed episode 417 of Dates and Mates. If this show resonated for you or if you know someone who could use the information we talked about today, please share it. Spread the word. Share it with a friend. Each one, teach one. And if you have a question for me, I love hearing from you. I love helping you with your love dilemmas, big or small. You can send me your questions in a DM at Damona Hoffman. You can even send me a voice memo right there in Instagram. Uh, You can also message me on Twitter or Facebook or give me a call. Call me maybe. 424-246-6255. I also accept 24-7 texts on that line. 424-246-6255. I hope to hear from you. By the way, I hope you have a safe and happy 4th of July. We'll be back next Tuesday, July 5th, with a special summer series. We're switching it up on Dates and Mates. We're going to do some encore episodes. We're going to pull some content out of the vault, and we're going to be doing some masterclasses. So make sure you keep yourself subscribed so you don't miss one moment of this exciting summer love series. Until next week, I wish you happy Independence Day and happy dating.